This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Good evening. Welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on nine six two five kilohertz on the thirty one meter band if you're in Southern Africa. You can also find us on www.channelafrica.co.za online. My name is Spumele Lezondi. I'm with Joala Netulo, Husani Matebula, and Mosibudi Makura. Your top stories. Joint tears continue to engulf South Africa as the world continues to remember struggle stalwart Wendy Madigizela Mandela. Sub-Saharan Africa makes great strides in the fight to abolish the death penalty with a significant decrease in death sentences being imposed across the region. In economics, the number of Kenyans living below the international poverty line drops by 8% in the past decade. Jola Natulu has a news. Thank you, Spumalele. Good evening. Malawi's ruling Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, has called on Peter Motarika now not to run for the 2019 elections. The ruling DPP is embroiled in political wranglings over leadership. This is because a number of DPP officials have come out publicly saying the incumbent president, Peter Motarika, should not stand. As presidential candidate in 2019, George Mhango has the details. This comes a year before Malawi goes to the post to elect a president, vice president, parliamentarians and ward councillors in what is known as tripartite elections. With regards to the political wrangle within the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, DPP, the first to come out publicly is former First Lady Kalista Mutarika, President Peter Mutarika's direct in-law. Kalista said President Mutariga is not fit to stand and insists endorsed Malawi's Vice President Saulus Chilima, who is being sidelined by some top DPP officials as the party's presidential candidate in 2019. The losing candidate in last month's presidential elections in Sierra Leone, Samura Kamara, has appealed to the Supreme Court to overturn the result. This comes just days after he congratulated the declared victor, Julius Madabayo. In a petition to the West African state's top court, Kamara says the electoral process was fundamentally flawed and the declaration in favor of Bayo was invalid and cannot be supported in law. Spokesperson for the National Electoral Commission, Albert Masaku, says the petition was filed on Wednesday evening. The petition also says the NEC acted illegally on April 4th when it issued the final results of the second and final round of the elections, which took place on March 31st, the date for the decision by the Supreme Court was not immediately known. UN sources in the Central African Republic say they have helped avert a prison outbreak in the capital Bangui on Tuesday. This comes as deadly clashes unfolded in a flashpoint district between peacekeepers and militia. Two inmates were killed and a third was injured after the violence erupted at the Ngaragbaba Central Prison. Minuska says the Justice Ministry received a tip-off that the prison was going to be attacked from outside in an operation coordinated with inmates. In a separate incident, 19 people, including a U.S. Soldier were killed and more than 100 were wounded in 
clashes on Tuesday between peacekeepers and armed men in the volatile PK-5 Muslim enclave of the capital. The Zimbabwean government has been blamed for lack of political will in addressing the causes of cholera and typhoid outbreaks, especially in the capital Harare. From August 2008 to July 2009, uh, Zimbabwe experienced a cholera outbreak that killed more than 4,000 people, mainly from Harare. In subsequent years, Harare also suffered typhoid outbreaks due to poor water and sanitation services. However, the last state of the city of Harare, addressed by the outgoing mayor, Bernard Mayanyeni, lack of political will on the part of government, was blamed for the outbreaks. Mayanyeni elaborates. Environmental health, it is saddening to report that once again the city reported the 234 confirmed cases of typhoid, a disease that can be avoided if there is access to clean water and proper sanitation. We draw comfort from the fact that we are one of the few institutions in the country with the ability to detect typhoid and as such we continue to report cases. Investigation of all typhoid cases and contact tracing is ongoing, so is water quality monitoring of both borehole and municipal water even after the outbreaks. Council is performing well in most of the health programs, though typhoid outbreaks continue to recur. Efforts are being made to address the key drivers, which are water and sanitation issues and personal hygiene matters. Finally, the world's chemical weapons watchdog, the OPCW, has announced that samples that its team has collected following the poisoning of former Russian spy and his daughter in southern England support Britain's findings that the nerve agent used. About the nerve agent used, rather, Moscow has denied any involvement in the attack on Sergei and Yula Skripal. The BBC's Frank Gardner has more. The OPCW said its team confirmed the UK's findings relating to the identity of the toxic chemical used. It added that it was of a high purity with almost complete absence of impurities. But it did not mention the brand name of Novichok, which has been used frequently by British government officials. Nor does it name the source of the poison, something which is beyond the remit of the OPCW's report. A second classified report has been given to government's party to the Chemical Weapons Convention, and it's understood this contains much greater detail on the chemical analysis of the nerve agent used. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Jolani. 1706 Central African Time. Now, South Africa has been remembering the life of the woman they called the mother of the nation. The anti-apartheid activist, Winnie Matigizela Mandela. A memorial service was held on Wednesday at the football stadium in Soweto. The BBC's Namsamaseko. of people have gathered here at the Orlando Stadium in Soweto to remember Winnie Madrigizela Mandela who died on Easter Monday. It's a sea of the ANC's black, green and gold. There were prayers, songs and stories of her life. Mama Winnie's great-grandchildren remembered the woman they called Big Mama. She was the best, she tried, and she, she was a great fighter. We all loved her. Big Mommy was the kindest, happiest, smartest, most inspiring, fashionable, loving person I knew. She was the best woman in the world. 
the best fighter for her people. I am proud to call myself her great-grandchild. But there was anger too at those who'd failed to support her. This was her grandson, Bambata Mandela. You must learn to respect this legendary individual who has mothered a nation instead of behaving like ungrateful children. Long live Winnie Mandela, long live. Rita Nzanga, who was imprisoned with Mama Winnie, remembered her friend being arrested with her baby still strapped to her back and shared memories of the degrading conditions they faced in jail. She said Mama Winnie gave the best years of her life for the freedom of black South Africans. Winnie Madigizela Mandela has been labeled a controversial and divisive figure, someone who had advocated violence in the struggle to end apartheid. But Communications Minister Nomvula Mugunyani said it was important to remember what South Africa was like when Mrs. Matigizela Mandela had made such comments. Violence on the part of the apartheid regime was widespread and the anti-apartheid activist herself had been brutally treated. The youth of today and those who didn't understand, including those who assume to be historians about our struggle, must understand that she didn't do that and say that because she was a reckless leader. She had to say those things. She undermined a system that had actually destroyed her family. She was a fighter, she was a soldier, she was fighting against the system and she was representing many of us. To those in the stadium today, Mama Winnie was a victim of the apartheid government's propaganda machine. Patriarchy at its best. They were trying by all means to make sure that Winnie does not succeed as a leader. But we hope we have learned a good lesson out of her and that will multiply and see to it that there are more and more Winnie Mandela's within our, our communities. She's one woman who stands against all odds. She's an icon, there's no doubt about it. And when she was fighting, she, she was unapologetic, and we are celebrating the fruits of Mama Wini today. It is not yet the South Africa that Mrs. Madigizela Mandela envisaged. It is, though, a very different country from the one she grew up in. Challenges remain, but those will be for the next generation to tackle. Report rather was compiled by the BBC's Nomsa Masego. Now, staying with that story, South African struggle icon Winfred Nomsa Mama Digizela Mandela will be laid to rest on the 14th of April, which is this coming Saturday in Johannesburg in South Africa. Her untimely death comes after she succumbed to a recurring illness, affectionately known as Mother of the Nation. Mama Winnie Mandela played a pivotal role in the fight against the apartheid regime. She was imprisoned and sent to solid 
solitary confinement in an attempt by the then regime to break her spirit. Soweto, where she lived, has been abuzz with mourners coming from all walks of life to come pay their last respects to the struggle icon. This week has seen not just South Africans, but the African continent mourn her passing and rejoice her life. One of those who visited her home in Soweto was former Malawi President Dr. Joyce Banda. In an exclusive interview with Channel Africa, this is what she had to say. I have always said in my speeches all over the world that leadership is a love affair, that you must fall in love with the people you serve and the people must fall in love with you. And then that is the only way you become a servant leader and serve your people well. Otherwise, you go in looking for power and the way you discharge your duties is different. The exact example of a servant leader, one that fell in love with her people and the people fell in love with her, is Winnie Mandela. Mm-hmm. Mama Winnie never left Soweto, as Nomza is saying. Mama Winnie stayed with the people. Mama Winnie served her people. Mama Winnie was prepared to suffer for her people. That, for me, is what leadership is all about. And so I believe that this week, as we celebrate her life, it should be incumbent upon us to make sure that those of us that are senior leaders, like myself, are passing on the mantle to younger leaders. And it is my hope that younger leaders will look up to leaders like Mama Winnie Madikzela Mandela and take an example from her and serve the people selflessly. I was at her house this past week. I went to see the family there. What we were hearing in the past is that she has a huge house. She built herself a mansion. I went looking for that mansion. I didn't see it yesterday. <laughs> and Soweto has beautiful homes. Mama Winnie Mandela's house is not one of those beautiful homes. But she stayed. She could have left. She could have gone to Midland and other mm-hmm. places. She decided to stay with the people. When you fall in love with the people yourself, you will not want anybody to exploit them. You will not want anybody to abuse them. You will not even want anybody to steal from them. That was Win Mandela. So to her, what mattered most in her life was not the positions that she got or what she benefited, but what she could give. And mm. that must be a lesson to all of us women. And finally, let, let me say this. To me, as Joyce Banda, and to my fellow women leaders, and to my fellow African women, that it is our responsibility to make sure that we keep the legacy of Winnie Madikizela Mandela intact. We must make sure that we protect it because I know that women's leadership is usually under attack and that women are deliberately deformed, defamed, women are deliberately scandalized, women are deliberately abused. In fact, for your information, and Madeleine Albright, a former Secretary of State of the U.S., has championed the formation of what we are calling not the cost campaign, mm. to campaign against abuses of women in participating in leadership, particularly politics. So therefore, it is important for us who are alive, who are in leadership, to make sure that as we draw lessons from Mama Winnie, as we are inspired by her legacy, we must make sure that we protect it generously too. Mm-hmm. We make sure that all women of Africa must never allow anybody to scandalize the name of Winnie Mandela.
the former Malawian president, Dr. Joyce Banda. 1715 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. My life was always determined by the political situation of the time. I led a day-to-day existence which was determined by the security grounds of the day. I was in and out of prison almost every month, if not every week. And the consequence of that was the children were always left alone. Those were perhaps the cruelest moments which have left an indelible mark in my heart. Mother of the nation, see her love light shine. Mourners who descended to Orlando Stadium yesterday to honor Winnie Madigizela Mandela spoke very fondly of her and her contributions to society. Mourners unanimously agreed that while this is a sad moment for the country, they are inspired by how her death galvanized ordinary South Africans to rediscover who this woman was. It's emotional and it reminds me that if she was here, maybe... We could have had something in our hands, but though we can't uh, disagree with what God has has did, God gives and God takes. In the movement, Mama Winnie was a hero to us. Uh, She led an example to the woman. She teaches us women that we have to respect ourselves and respect other people and lead our children to the right direction of the future and we must make this South Africa attractive South African that uh, tourism can be proud of. Rest in peace Mama Wini, we love you, we'll always love you. You know what I can say to Mama is thank you very much for what she's done for us. Uh, she taught us a lot of many things and I'll remember this day with uh, I can say it's a very sad day to me because we've lost such a huge person. That's all I can say about mom. Very, very sad to think that uh, Mama Winnie was so vibrant. I, I really was not satisfied. This memorial, it seems as if people didn't know who they are really having this memorial for. Seems. They are just total strangers who were just, you know, picked up and told to go and hold a memorial service. Not for Mama Winnie. Courageous woman who never feared, who was straightforward, who, you know, went where the brave didn't just dare go. Mama Winnie was always there. Mama Winnie was always there. Rest in peace, Mama Winnie Sakthanda. Rest in peace, Mama Winnie Sakthanda. Sakthanda, son, Sakthanda. Freedom Fight. Mother. Mother. Natural.
Channel Africa remembers Mama Winnie Matikizela Mandela. 1719 Central African time now moving on to other issues. Sub-Saharan Africa has made great strides in the global fight to abolish the death penalty. This has been done with a significant decrease in death sentences being imposed across the region. This is according to Amnesty International's 2017 Global Review of the Death Penalty published today. The report says while countries such as Botswana continue to execute people, Guinea became the 20th state in sub-Saharan Africa to abolish the death penalty for all crimes, while Kenya abolished the mandatory death penalty for murder. More on the findings from Mulea Mwana Nyanda, Eminence International's Deputy Regional Director for Southern Africa. Basically, the report is recording positive steps all across the world, but especially in sub-Saharan Africa, where we're seeing a really strong push towards abolishing the death penalty. So we've seen a a decrease uh, in the number of executions, for example, but also uh, in the general number of sentences that are handed out. Now, what sort of strides have been made um, in the global fight um, to abolish the death penalty? Take us a little bit through that. Yes. So uh, you recall that Amnesty has been at the forefront of fighting the death penalty for over 40 years. So at the time we started fighting against the death penalty um, almost 41 years ago, there were only 40 countries at that time that were abolitionists. Right now, we're talking about 146 countries which are either completely abolitionist or abolitionist in practice. So we've made massive strides, and every year um, we're seeing change towards abolition uh, globally. And I do think that this is because of the realization by a number of countries that the death penalty simply does not deter crime, uh, because studies on its effectiveness show that the death penalty play a major role at the time a crime is committed. Mm. So uh, if you look at recent crime figures, for example, Mm -hmm. from abolitionist countries, uh, they show that abolishing the death penalty does not lead to more crime. In Canada, for example, the homicide rate in 2016 was almost half that in 1976 when the death penalty was abolished. So as you can see, uh, there's a massive realization by governments uh, generally that this is not a deterrent. And we as Amnesty International campaign that the death penalty is inhuman and it's degrading form of punishment. There's also a huge uh, possibility that the people that are executed, in fact, there are several examples of people that have been executed who were later exonerated or found to have been uh, innocent. So the margin of error there is also quite large. But besides that, we completely oppose the death penalty because it is degrading, it is inhuman. Mm. Now with all the points there, very valid points that you've um, put across, we know that sub-Saharan Africa um, in itself has made some great strides in that front, but the rest of the continent seems to be lagging behind. Uh, why is it that it's still difficult for some other countries uh, to actually um, stop executing people? Yes, I think it's the general belief that the, the death penalty is a deterrent. And also there are a number of reasons, for example, the use of religious or political reasons that you know our population supports the death penalty. So usually governments will take populist stances um, to respond to all of that. But we've dispelled that in our report because you will find that even if 
you look at religious reasons that are advanced that oh well you know we are an Islamic country and therefore we're going to do the you know we're going to use the death penalty we can point to a number of Islamic countries that do not use the death penalty so for example Senegal does not use the death penalty now, but just finally, I mean, of course, it's a conversation that um, amnesty has been at the forefront of for um, decades now. But um, at this juncture in 2018, what is it that really can be done to get to that place where, um, you know, there's general consensus around this? I think it's just a sustained uh, campaign, which is what we've been doing. The strides, like I said at the beginning of the interview, we've made a massive from 44 countries to 146. So it means it can happen. And the only way that these things happen is if people constantly talk about it, if people constantly call upon governments to get rid of the death penalty on their statute books. And this is what Amnesty International is doing. So every year... This is a call that we make to government, and we do several things. We have rallies, we write letters, um, our members write letters to government. So we are hopeful that in years to come, we will have no country that has a death penalty on its statutes. That is Mulea Mwananyanda, Eminence International's Deputy Regional Director for Southern Africa, talking to Zikona Miso. The Zimbabwean government has been blamed for a lack of political will in addressing the causes of cholera and typhoid outbreaks, especially in the capital, Harare. From August 2008 to July 2009, Zimbabwe experienced a cholera outbreak that killed more than 4,000 people, mainly from Harare. In subsequent years, Harare has also suffered typhoid outbreaks due to poor water and sanitation services. However, during the last state of the city of Harare address, by the outgoing mayor, Bernard Manyanyeni. Lack of political will on the part of government was blamed for the outbreaks. Simon Mochema reports from Harare. For close to a decade now, Zimbabwean citizens, mainly from the capital Harare, have experienced cholera and typhoid outbreaks killing a number of people. While Harare is running water in the taps, residents complain it is unsafe to drink, dirty and produces some smell. This is over the past few years seen those with the resources drilling boreholes while UNICEF helped with the sinking of more boreholes in the poor townships. The sinking of boreholes was seen as a remedy while government resolved the water and sanitation problem in Zimbabwean cities, especially Harare, but even borehole water was reportedly contaminated as well. From January this year, 234 cases have been recorded and government have been blamed for lack of political will. Mayor Bernard Manyenyeni said. Environmental health, it is saddening to report that once again the city reported the 234 confirmed cases of typhoid, a disease that can be avoided if there is access to clean water and proper sanitation. We draw comfort from the fact that we are one of the few institutions in the country with the ability to detect typhoid, and as such, we continue to report cases. Investigation of all typhoid cases and contact tracing is ongoing. So is water quality monitoring of both borehole and municipal water, even after the outbreaks. Mayor Manyenyeni added. Council is performing well in most of the health programs, though typhoid outbreaks continue to recur. Efforts are being made to address the key drivers, which are water and sanitation issues and personal hygiene matters. Despite the constraints of resources, the city remains committed to providing services 
to undeserving populations. The United Nations Population Fund and the International Labour Organization are funding in partnership with the city the development of a clinic, a youth center and an access road in Hopley. The project is almost complete and will be commissioned soon. Manyanyani pleaded with politicians to prioritize human life and help councils acquire required foreign currents to deal with typhoid and cholera outbreaks. Currently, sources of Harare water are highly contaminated such that nearly 2.5 million U.S. dollars is required to treat water monthly, Mayor Manyanyani said. There is absolutely no political will to address this tragedy. If we do not do anything in this regard, the next council will inherit a council on life support. While the city of Harare is owed huge sums of money by angry residents, on one end, politicians are fingered in corrupt deals with some of them receiving salaries from council at the expense of service delivery. The state of our economy remains unfriendly. There's low capacity utilization, investor lethargy, and high unemployment levels. And this environment negatively affects the revenues and operations of council. Our debtors are sitting on 733.46 million, and our creditors are sitting at 437.75 million. Payment of salaries. Payment of salaries continues to be a victim of the levels of remuneration. The level of remuneration directly affects the level of service, and in this particular case, it also affects our ability to pay on time. For as long as spouses, siblings, and offspring of powerful political forces remain on our payroll, the salary debate will not even start. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Do you know a young entrepreneur making a difference in your community? The Anzisha Prize Award competition is looking for young African entrepreneurs with innovative solutions to social challenges or successful businesses in their communities. 20 finalists from across Africa will win a trip to South Africa for a week-long entrepreneurship workshop and conference at the African Leadership Academy. Nominate a young entrepreneur between the ages 15 and 22 for a chance to win a shared amount of 100,000 US dollars and become an Anzisha. Fellow. Competition entry is free and the closing date is this Sunday, the 15th of April, 2018. Reach out to all young entrepreneurs and encourage them to apply for the Anzisha Prize Award on www.anzishaprize.org forward slash apply. Alternatively, check Channel Africa's website for details at www.channelafrica.co.za and look for the Anzisha Prize Award competition. It is 17.30 Central African Time. Hestrola Natula with you in your headlines. Thank you, Spumelele. Making headlines, the losing candidate in last month's presidential elections in Sierra Leone, Samura Kamara, has appealed to the Supreme Court to overturn the result. UN forces in the Central African Republic say they have helped avert a prison outbreak in the capital, Bangui, on Tuesday. And finally, the Zimbabwean government has been blamed for lack of political will in addressing the causes of cholera and typhoid outbreaks, especially in the capital, Harare. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo.
It is 17.31 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spomele Lezondi with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. You can be a part of this conversation by finding us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. That is Channel Africa One on Twitter. You can also send us emails. That email address is info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, on the issue of Joyce Banda commenting there on the passing of Winnie Matigizela Mandela, that uh, exclusive interview that we had with the former Malawian president, there is someone who tweets as some of those Twitter names, um, the Village God, and his name is the Godly Thirties Society. He is simply saying Joyce Banda seems to be back. And someone says, but she stole billions in Malawi. They're referring to Joyce Banda, who during that uh, um, exclusive interview that we had with her earlier, said, when you fall in love with the people you serve, you will not want anybody to exploit them. Someone is saying that, well, she stole billions in Zambia, accusing her of that. So maybe she isn't the right person to be saying that. It is 17.32 Central African time now. Now, South Africa's child rights organization, the Center for Missing and Exploited Children, say more than 60,000 children live on the streets in the country. This as the world marks International Day for the Street Child or for Street Children. Global statistics estimate that there are more than 100 million homeless children around the world. Online volunteering platform forgood.co.za today celebrated with Jablani Kakibos Kids, an organization that works with homeless children in Johannesburg. For more on this, we're now joined on the line by Andy Hadfield, Chief Executive Officer for Good Daughters at ForGood.co.za. Hello and welcome for and thank you very much for joining us, Andy. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Um, now, can you tell us about um, why children uh, would, would do they choose homeless, uh, homelessness? Why would they be homeless? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an extremely complex issue and, um, and I wouldn't promise to be a, an expert on it. Um, it's very multifaceted. There's a whole bunch of reasons that it happens. But I think understanding the problem is, is one of the first steps and, and that's what platforms, I think, like for the Dotella today do. Interestingly enough, I was doing, uh, I was doing some reading for the, for the day and that figure of 100 million homeless children around the world is a, an estimate from almost a decade ago. So the problem could be far worse uh, than we than we even realize. Mm, and uh, today you decided to go to Soweto. Why did you choose that part of the country? Yeah, so I mean, so, so for good is this, uh, it's the largest volunteering platform in uh, South Africa. And how we work is that we allow uh, charities. We call them causes because we think it's it's a bit more positive. Uh, they register on our platform. And then they capture in real time exactly what they need to complete their projects and serve their beneficiaries and, and help their communities. And those needs on the, on the platform is what you respond to as a volunteer. Um, so as a, as a technology platform, as a content platform, our job is to expose these days and these themes and, and help South Africans at the moment, hopefully the rest of Africa someday, but help South Africans find ways that they can get back. Um, today's international you know, street children Mm. Um, Andy, we seem to be losing yeah. you there a little bit. Can I ask you to go back to where you started? And um, uh, maybe if you just um, say something very quickly, repeat what you were saying there in the end. Um, your job is to expose. Huh. Can you hear me? We can hear you, yes. 
Excellent. Uh, cell phones, what can you do? Yeah. No, I was just saying that uh, as, a, as a platform, um, our job is to raise awareness around these days, and uh, we basically connect people to causes using the internet, and Kaki Boss Kids is, uh, is one of the causes that we, that we thought would be great to raise awareness around international street children that do work in that area in South Africa. Um, what, what do they do exactly? So they do a range of things. Again, you know, as in the beginning, I was saying this is a complex problem. Um, one of the first things is is understanding the legal framework for how you deal with homeless children. Um, so they, they are often laws that mean you can't just take kids off the street, um, and that that's kind of the admin side of it. Uh, a lot of a lot of causes. This one especially, they provide a home, a shelter. Uh, for homeless children. And then I think what's the more positive side of, of this story is, you know, what you do to not only get the kids off the street, but to empower them and help them change their lives. So a lot of what Kaki Boss Kids and uh, another one we work with is called The Character Company. You'll find them also on Sugar.ca today. They do a lot of education and empowerment. Uh, so mentorship and tutoring and uh, psychological services and things like that. Um, and that's that's all about building people up rather than tearing them down. Why did you decide to choose? Um, I understand that you 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 work with different courses. Why street children in particular, though? Why did you decide to choose this particular course and to partner with Kagibos on this particular course? Because the, one might say maybe there's a greater need elsewhere. Well, so one of the things we do as a platform, remember, you know, is, is we support all the different themes and days that that come out. Uh, what was it? A couple of couple of weeks ago, it was National Library Week, um, and we just see each one of these as a wonderful opportunity to educate the market out there um, that these problems exist. And today is the day for International Street Children. Uh, I think the hashtag is Tweets for the Street, and and it's all about raising awareness of a, a problem that a lot of people don't don't like to talk about. Uh, and so we we just want to raise awareness for this problem like we do many other problems. Um, and I think one of the beautiful things about technology is that if you want to help, if you want to become more socially active, one of the problems that we promote is going to appeal to you. Um, and I think there's a, there's a lot of people that that, uh, that want to help kids that are, that are homeless. And that's why we do it. All right. Um, Andy, in, in terms of South Africa, when it comes to street children, where is the greatest need? I think almost everything in South Africa always comes down to education. Um, so you have two sides of the coin. One is the structural problems with, which cause the kids to be homeless in the first place. And, and a lot of that is due to socioeconomic inequality, the wealth gap, um, our history, which we're still trying to recover from as a country. Um, but then the other side of the coin is, is what you what you do once you've identified the problem, uh, and that's you know that's why we were so excited that these causes, the character company, Kaki Boss Kids, they don't just provide a home, they don't just provide sandwiches and blankets and what you would traditionally expect uh, an organisation that helps homeless kids to do. Um, they're very much about education, they're very much about empowerment, they're very much about providing stable structures so these kids can can get some some degree of normalcy in their life and, uh, and reintegrate with society. And now tell us about what's happened in Soweto. Uh, so it wasn't actually in Soweto. We, we, had the, we just had a very small event um, uh-huh. in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> it is a small event. This is a huge problem. Um, but we had an event at our offices and a bunch of the kids came through and the, and the organizations and a, and a bunch of media. And I think the interesting thing about the event was that 
We use it also to highlight the fact that people can have a lot of assumptions and, and act on a lot of stereotypes, especially around street kids. Um, you know, this is something in South Africa we see every day. We don't talk about it enough. And one of the assumptions is just if you wanted to help street kids, what would you do? Uh, most people would jump straight to, you know, let's collect blankets and make stationery. Um, I mean, let's collect blankets and, and make sandwiches. But uh, something like for good, that's the other today, what it does for the market out there is is allow these organizations to say exactly what it is that they need. So this event was about two things. One, it was about um, making hamburgers. Because interesting enough, hamburgers are just something that the, the street kids' homes don't get. Huh. Good protein. It's slightly more luxurious. Um, so we made a bunch of homemade hamburgers. Did they enjoy them? For the, for the, yeah, they loved them. Yeah. <laughs> you were telling us about other things? It, yeah, more importantly, it wasn't just the hamburgers. Um, there was a bunch of educational stuff in there, so a whole lot of stationery um, and a whole lot of things that they can use in the education programs um, because that is what those organizations really needed. They don't need blankets. They don't need toothpaste. They don't need toothbrush, toothbrushes. They don't need sandwiches. They've got those things covered. Um, I am speaking about these two particular organizations. Uh, and that's what's exciting about a platform like For Good is that it helps identify real needs and then people out there can act on them like we did with our, our little event today. Mm. Um, earlier you were talking to us about understanding the legal framework um, when dealing with street children. How does that work? Let's say someone has identified a child they want to get off the streets. Obviously, as you said, you can't just grab them and take them to your home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on the, on the legal framework, but it was a fascinating conversation I was having with the... Uh, one of the directors of Kartibos Kids today at the event. Um, and she said the legal framework is, is changing and it's maturing and it's not allowing them to just dive in there and help like they used to be able to do, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, you have to go through more processes, uh, you know, and, and and I think it just it complicates the whole issue as well. But in some ways, uh, you have to have regulation. Um, because there are, you know, fraud mm. exists in the non-profit sector, and you can't have, you can't have organisations just grabbing kids in, in the name of helping them. Well, uh, children can also get exploited. Um, if we just exactly. grab children, you don't know where they end up. Exactly. So there has to be a process. You have to work with the, the relevant government departments. You have to have some kind of reporting framework, and you need to understand what it is you're doing and how you're doing. Uh, I think another one of the interesting accessory pieces of, uh, of, of administration is getting yourself registered as a home. Um, so there's a process that you have to go through. So you'll find Kaki Boss Kids has an official registration that enables them to shelter kids um, under certain circumstances. And it, look, it was just interesting. And it, again, I think it's a great example that you know everyday South Africans don't always understand the depth and the complexity of these problems. Um, and it's just not something you can collect blankets and collect some food and hope to solve. Uh, and again, that's something we hope to do as a platform is to shine a light on these communities and, and in some way give them a voice. Mm. Um, but can individuals um, organize themselves, let's say a community, and uh, go and give out those blankets as you, uh, because you say you can't just do that? Well, I think it's, it's, it's not that you can't do that. You know, there are definitely organizations out there that need blankets. And this is a very successful blanket drives and blanket collection thing. I think it's more about doing what the organization needs. 
Um, and so, of course, individuals can organize and communities can organize. That's exactly why we built something like for, for Good.Sela today. Um, and I encourage all your listeners to, to go and have a look. Uh, if you go to the homepage of the site, click on campaigns, mm. you'll see our international, uh, international street, uh, day, day for Street Children campaign. In there, we've collected over 20 different opportunities from across South Africa of very specific things that different organizations working with street children need. So you will find everything from uh, scientific calculators to stationery to food uh, to even you know, accounting and administrative services to help the organizations that help the kids. Um, and so you know, anyone can find something that they're passionate about that actually has a meaningful application in social development. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. All right. That is Andy Hatfield, who is the Chief Executive Officer at forgood.co.za. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. It is now time for your economics. Here is Wasani Matabula. Good evening. Thanks, as Pumelele. Quantum Global, an investment firm through which Angola's sovereign wealth fund invests much of its cash, demanded on Thursday that Mauritian authorities explain their decision to suspend its business licenses on the island nation. Mauritius has frozen 25 bank accounts and suspended seven licenses linked to Quantum Global following a visit by Angolan officials last week. Mauritius has acted swiftly in collaboration with the investigations by Angola authorities in order to protect itself against potential reputational risk. And the World Trade Organization says it expects uh, the rapid growth in global commerce to continue. It has, however, warned against what it calls restrictive trade policies. The BBC's Andrew Walker reports. World trade last year grew at its fastest rate since 2011, the WTO says. It's likely to continue at close to that pace this year, and the organisation says preliminary data suggest 2018 has got off to a strong start. But there's a stark warning that the upbeat prediction depends on governments refraining from a cycle of retaliatory trade measures. Against a background of increasing trade tension, especially between the United States and China, the WTO's Director General, Roberto Azevedo, said such a cycle was the last thing the world economy needs. He urged governments to show restraint and settle their differences through dialogue and serious engagement. Shares in Nigerian oil company Owando has surged 10% on resuming trade in Lagos after the regulator lifted suspension. The shares traded only briefly after being suspended for six months on the orders of Nigeria Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, which is investigating the oil company over alleged insider trading. The regulator briefly reimposed the suspension, citing SEC as directives but then lifted it again. Owando, with a second listing in South Africa, said it has been notified by the Johannesburg Stock Exchange that it will lift a similar suspension on its stock.
And South Africa's mining production output has improved in February compared to the previous month. Statistics South Africa's latest data shows that mining output increased by 3.1% year-on-year in February 2018. The biggest contributors came from diamonds and iron ore. Same Roland of Econometrics says that finalizing the mining charter and taking advantage of the improvement in commodity prices will see further investment in the sector. I think the hope for for 2018 for many in the industry is that the mining chart will be finalized within the next month or two and and many are hoping that this is cause for a lot more optimism and hopefully we should see an increase in a return of, of fixed investment particularly in the mining sector that should bring about a quicker recovery and the hope is that the country will be able to take full advantage of the upswing in commodity price Zambia says its 8.7 billion US dollar foreign debt has not been understated and those saying it is higher they should produce evidence. This follows market speculation that the debt could be more than double the official figure. Zambia, Africa's second biggest copper producer, has held talks with the IMF over an aid program but uh, the fund has rejected its debt management plan in February. Zambia's economy is expected to grow by more than 4% this year, held by the mining, agriculture and construction sectors. Financial indicators, uh, the dollar trading at 12.01 South African rents and 9.47 Botswana Pula, 9.42 Zambian Guacha. And BRICS currencies, the US dollar trading at 3.39 Brazilian Real at 63.33 Russian Ruble at 64.97 Indian Rupee and at 6.27 Chinese Yuan. It's also trading at 70 pence to the British pound and at 81 cents against the euro. Commodities gold $1,350, platinum at $928 per fine ounce, brand crude oil at $72.33 per barrel. That's your economics news right now. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. It is now time for your sports news. Here is Musibu de Makura.
Good evening, sports fans. There are a number of reasons for the Springbok Sevens team to be upbeat about their participation at the 2018 Commonwealth Games, and both a Blitzbocker coach, Neil Powell, as well as captain Philip Sneeman, see their involvement with Team South Africa as a crucial to their development as a team. The Blitzbocker are defending the gold medal they won back at the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, Scotland. Now, Powell was forced to call up Salvin Davids in place of Ryan Oestazen, who ended his hamstring in Hong Kong. A scan in uh, the Gold Coast revealed a muscle tear which has ruled him out of the games. Now, according to Powell, a successful defense of their medal is only one of the reasons as to why they are enjoying their time at the Gold Coast. I think it's really important for us uh, to do well in this Commonwealth Games, um, not just because we're the defending champions and we hopefully will defend that gold medal, but also it's uh, just maybe one of the few practices that we get in a, in a multi-sport event like the Olympics to, to see how we can go. And this is almost like a dress rehearsal for us for, for 2020. So um, we'd like to be successful in this one. Um, yeah, because it, uh, we see this preparations for in two years' time for the Olympics. Now, the Blitzborger have impressed in recent times on the HSBC World Sevens circuit and are the reigning champions that will go into the games as the hot favourites to claim successive gold medal. Now, the Blitzborger have been drawn in Pool A with Scotland, Papua New Guinea, as well as Malaysia for the Sevens tournament. Sneeman says the team is fully prepared and is, going, um, is looking forward to this upcoming weekend. We're not going to do anything different. Um, I think we learned from previous tournaments and, 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 and previous ones of tournaments that you need to stay in the moment, you need to focus um, on the processes. Um, so yeah, this group of players, I think um, over the last couple of years, we've learned a lot of valuable lessons. And if we can go out this, this, this weekend and write the final exam, um, I believe um, we've done the hard work and I believe we can be successful this upcoming weekend. Meanwhile, the Springbok Sevens women's team will on Friday begin uh, or rather break new ground when they play in their first ever Rugby Sevens women's tournament at the Commonwealth Games. The South Africans face Canada as well as New Zealand on the opening day of the tournament. Now, both opponents are ranked in the top three in the world. The New Zealanders are not only the defending champions at the tournament, but also won the 2016-2017 World Rugby Women's Sevens Series. Meanwhile, South Africa are now in position five on the medals table with a total of 35 medals comprising of 11 gold medals, nine silver as well as 12 bronze medals. Australia lead the table with 156 medals in total, followed by England, India, Canada with South Africa rounding up the top five. And finally, in local football news, Mamlodi Sundowns head coach Pizzo Musimani says his club will not be bullied into selling Persit Awu to a Europe, uh, European club for a bargain price. The 23-year-old Au, a league and champions league winner, as well as a Bafana Bafana regular, is tipped by many to win the PSL Player of the Season award. Musimani has spoken previously by his willingness to let the player leave the team, but only to one of the bigger leagues in Europe. But those overseas-based teams hunting for a bargain in Africa will not be tolerated, says the former Bafana Bafana coach. Well, the Zaya Sports News at the Sour and back with more sports news just before 8 p.m. Central African time. This is Africa Digest.
Recapping our top stories at 1755, joy and tears continue to engulf South Africa as the world continues to remember struggle stalwarts Winnie Madigizela Mandela and Sub-Saharan Africa makes great strides in the fight to abolish the death penalty. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Pumela Lezondi producer, Luanda Mahomet, technical producer, Evelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team. Thanks for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za. SMS plus 2776 300 3327 plus 2776 300 3327. Tweet Channel Africa 1. Here's Jimmy Lulu and BB Winans. We must unite as a people. And yes, I am grateful when I see how far we've come. Them all who's gone before us that gave their lives and sacrifice with this song. Do you believe that love will conquer hatred at the end? And the battle we're facing, we win. Africa.
And the struggles make you strong hey.